I, I realize this just, I know, I'm, I know it off and on, but I was reminded of this yesterday. So we were getting ready to go for a walk through our, our neighborhood, and she was pushing us. She's like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. But Crystal had something in the oven, and so we needed to wait on, on it to finish cooking. Well, she had set a timer. Y'all, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the Alexa thing, the Echo, the Amazon thing. Anyway, her, her mom had gotten us this Amazon Echo that is basically uh, you know, a voice-activated uh, device, and you can tell it to set timers and things like that. And so you can say, Alexa, how much time is left on my timer? And it will tell you you have approximately five minutes left on your timer uh, before your casserole is done. Well, Zoe was like, it's time to go, Dad. It's time to go. And I'm like, Zoe, we've got about two minutes left on the timer, and then we can go for a walk. Well, she went up there, and she's like, Alexa, how much time is left on our timer? And Alexa said, you have one minute and 55 seconds left. And she said, see, Dad, I told you you were wrong. It says one minute and 55. I was like, listen, when you asked me, I was actually 100% correct And as I go into arguing with my little seven-year-old girl about why I am right and she is wrong, it hits me. I'm training her to be just like me. This is going to be a horrible ten years before we can get her out of this house. And so my poor wife, you know, she has two of us now. But as I was thinking about that, I thought about these guys we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 5, these guys who really believed they had all the answers. Like, you couldn't tell them anything. Before you got the, the thing that you were going to tell them out of their mouth, they would say, yeah, I already knew that. doesn't matter what it is, I already knew that. They knew the answer before you even asked the question. That's the, the type of people that they were. They had the answer in their mind before you even asked the question. They, you couldn't teach them anything. At least Jesus couldn't. That was their response to Jesus. And what I want us to see this morning as we look at this is that if that's our attitude towards him, we'll never walk with him. Because anytime he says, this is the way you could go, you should go, he'll say, oh, yeah, I already knew that. You'll say, I already knew that. When you begin to ask him a question, you already have the answer in your mind. Which way should I go, Lord? And before he even answers you, you already know which way you want to go. And, of course, in your mind, that's the right answer. And so Luke chapter 5, let's look at verse 33, and we'll look down through verse 35 to begin. Luke 5, 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so too the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And so these men who had all the right answers and you couldn't tell them anything, and they were never wrong, come to Jesus, and they begin to question him. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus had went and eaten at Levi the tax collector's house. Levi, a man who began to follow Jesus, invites him over for a, a feast at his home, and in the process invites all the other tax collectors and sinners from the area to his home. And so they're sitting there eating, Jesus eating with them. And the Pharisees say, what are you doing eating with those, that bunch of folks? They are not worthy to be in our presence. We're too holy for them. How dare you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, don't you know that's actually why I came from heaven? It's for tax collectors and sinners. I came for those who understand that they need me. And so their next question is, well, why is it that I fast, that we fast, and you guys don't? Like the disciples of the Pharisees fast, the disciples of John's fast, but you guys, you eat and drink. What's up with that, Jesus? You see, the, the problem was is that these people had in their mind that fasting was something that you did in order to make God happy with you. 
Fasting was something that you did to prove how holy you were and how much you loved the Lord. In fact, they would fast a couple of times a week. And so they believed that they were holier than everybody else. Jesus said that they did it in front of everyone. They would fast and let everybody know that they fasted to prove how much holier they were. They'd be walking around all day in their, their old clothes with ashes on their head talking about, oh, I'm so hungry, I skipped breakfast this morning because I'm fasting. Oh, you wouldn't understand you're not holy like me. You wouldn't understand the pain I'm going through. You wouldn't understand how much I love the Lord compared to you do. And we look at that and we say, that's hilarious. We would never do something like that. Just wait till Lent rolls back around and we look at Facebook and how many people are complaining about how terrible it is to have given up, you know, cheeseburgers for this 40 days and, and you know, the big long post about how they gave up Facebook and they post every day about how they gave up Facebook for, for Lent. And, you know, it's just hilarious. I just get a kick out of it every year. Keep playing all you want. I'm not making fun of that. But it's just funny how we want to prove how holy we are by all the sacrifices we make for our Lord who was crucified. As if we just have it so rough. That's what these guys were doing. They believed that God loved them more than you because they fasted a couple of times a week. They believed they could look at you and say, I'm holy, you're not. Because of the fact that Jesus and his disciples were eating and drinking. They say, oh, you guys must not be actually holy like we are. You must not actually love the Lord the way that we love the Lord. Why aren't y'all fasting? Why aren't y'all suffering like the rest of us? And so look at, look at verse 34 again. <coughs> Jesus gives us a super clear statement. <laughs> he says, and Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Totally get it now, Jesus. Like, this is one of those statements where you're like, what, What's your point, Jesus? What are you trying to get at? It takes a little bit to, to get at his point, but what he's saying is, Why would you mourn the loss of your friend, the bridegroom, before he gets married? Like, I mean, why would you be singing, you know, all my rowdy friends have settled down at his wedding reception? Why would you do that? Wait till after he's gone to start mourning the loss of your buddy. Like, don't, don't be showing up at someone's wedding talking about, oh, this is just like a funeral. I'm showing up in all black. This is a terrible day, buddy. Terrible day. It's going to be horrible. It's like, don't do that. Don't be the person who shows up at the feast. They would have these long feasts where they would have this huge celebration, this huge, huge party. And he's like, don't show up and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just too holy to eat with you guys. I just wanted to show up to remind you that I'm too holy. Like, I, I just wanted to show up and remind you, no, I can't eat any of your food. I'm just, I'm just too holy. Because, you know, I, I, I got to suffer. Y'all go ahead, you enjoy your food. You know, you don't love God, I do. It's okay, don't worry about it. Jesus is like, why would you show up at a wedding pretending like it's a terrible occasion? No, you show up and you celebrate because the bridegroom is with you. Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm with my disciples. Why would they be mourning? Why would they be upset? I'm actually with them. Jesus' point is actually pretty simple. Jesus is the point. You see, fasting should not center around a religious exercise. It shouldn't, our rituals in our religion should not center around rituals and religion. It should actually center around God. You see, his point wasn't that fasting is wrong or that fasting is pointless. His point was is that if he is not the point, if God is not the point, if a relationship with him is not the point, well, then it's pointless. 
His point is not that we shouldn't fast. In fact, he says there's coming a day when my disciples will fast. They'll fast when they're separated from me because they will seek me. They will want to be in my presence. They will mourn their loss uh, of me. They will mourn the, the distance between myself and them. Yes, in that day they will fast. But it's not appropriate for them to fast right now because I'm with them. Why would they fast right now? This is a time of joy. This is a time of celebration. The same thing is true in our own lives. We don't fast to get something out of God. We don't fast because we want God to love us more. We fast because we want to love God more. Like If we find ourselves in a rut and we find ourselves stuck because of desires and sins and things like that, that would be a good time to fast and say, man, my, my distance from the Lord is too far. I, I need to do some, something drastic to be reminded that I need Him and not all this other stuff. And maybe leave it off of Facebook. I don't know, maybe. Might be a good idea. But he's like, listen, guys, you're, I, I'm about to change the way that you think about everything. All these rules, all these regu- regulations, all these rituals that you've been doing your whole life that you think earn you favor with God, you're about to see it in a completely different light. Because he goes straight into fasting in verse 36 and, and to telling them what it looks like to follow him, what his new kingdom is going to look like. Verse 36, he says, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from, an old garment, from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the, and the new piece from the new will not match the old. Jesus is saying you can't put an unshrunk piece of cloth with a shrunk piece of cloth. When you put the two together, they both end up ripping. You end up tearing up both pieces. He says you've got to have one or the other. He says either you've got to follow me or you've got to keep doing what you were always doing. You can't have both. Like, it doesn't work that way. Look at verse 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst. The skins, uh, burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. No, new wine must be put into new wineskins. One commentator put it like this. I, I really like the way that he worded it. He said that the point, again, is that the new era, this new age that Jesus is bringing in, will bring new ways which must therefore have new containers. Jesus is more than a reformer of Judaism. He has come to refashion it into something fresh, something new. Basically, what Jesus is saying to these guys is, listen, I understand the way that you've always done things. It's the way you've always done things. But if you try and fit what you've always done into what I'm trying to do, you're going to blow everything up. You're going to make a mess out of everything. You're going to destroy what you had and what you're trying to get. You're going to lose me in the process. There's going to be this huge blow-up. And we know it's true, right? When you look at Jesus and Judaism and the way they clash throughout the Gospels, you see this blow-up at the end of it. We call it the crucifixion. They were so angry at him for trying to change who they were and what they had always done that they ended up killing him because they were trying to get him to fit into their system. The end result was that they, they killed Jesus instead of following him. Because they refused to listen. They refused to stop answering the question before Jesus even asked it. They refused to even consider the fact that he might know what he was talking about more than they did. And so verse 39, he says, Listen, I know this is your attitude. No one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says the old is good. In other words, once you know you like something, it's really hard to move on to something new. 
We know this is true, guys, right? I mean, when you know finally at a restaurant, this is what I like, this is the dish I like, it's really hard to ever try anything different, isn't it? Like every time you walk in there, I'm going to try something different today. You end up with the same exact meal. Why? Because you know it's good. You know that, hey, if I do this, I know that it's going to be good. Like, you think about it. Um, I, real, I keep realizing how old I am every time I make the, the mistake of trying to find music on the radio. You know, they don't have music on the radio anymore. It's like noise, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to it. I'm like, what is this? What is wrong with this generation? What are they listening to? Don't they know that people used to play instruments and they used to sing without this auto-tune stuff? Like, they actually, you could actually hear people's voices. And so, like, I, I listen to the radio. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Then I listen to the old stuff, and I'm like, see, Crystal, this is what I'm talking about. This was back when they made real music. Like, listen to this guy. They actually has lyrics, and he actually has talent and all this stuff. And, and as I get closer to the end of my rat, rant, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm old. I only find the good music on the oldie station. Maybe that's the problem, right? I mean, no generation has ever said of the last generation's music, oh, that's good stuff. We always say, man, those kids today, they have terrible music. I mean, I'm getting old. I don't like the new stuff. Same way with TV and all that different stuff. But, but my point is, is that once you know you like something, it's really hard to ever make a change. It's really hard to ever hear the fact that mm, maybe something different is actually better. I, I'm still firm on the belief that new music is not better than what I grew up listening to, but that's a, a sermon for a different day. But... <clears throat> but that's exactly what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. He's walking up to them and he's saying, everything you've ever done is wrong. Can, can you imagine that this morning? Like he walks into their church and he says, the music that you have is wrong. The way that you've organized your services is wrong. The way that you believe you serve God is wrong. What your mom, your dad, your granddad all taught you, wrong. I'm opening up a brand new way for you to have a relationship with God and it's totally different than everything you've ever done. See why they were so angry at him? He was walking in and he's saying, you can't hang on to anything you grew up hanging on to and, and have me. It's me or what you know. And I know how hard that's going to be for you. And so he says, listen, you either got to make a clean break and follow me or not have me at all. And that's a challenge, right, guys? I mean, if somebody walked up to you this morning and said, even the day you worship on is wrong, I'm going to change everything about what you do. That's hard, isn't it? But that's exactly what he does to these people. And these people hear him say that, and they say, we don't care what you say, we're not changing. And so to illustrate this, Luke gives us a couple of examples. God uh, has Luke give us a couple examples. We see this in verse 1 of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Luke, he says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, speaking of Jesus, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, When your focus is religion, you end up trapping yourself. 
you end up tying yourself up so tightly that you miss the entire point of the law. You miss the entire point of what God was trying to get across to you. So what we have happening here is the disciples are walking on the Sabbath day, on the day that they're not supposed to work, and they walk across some grain fields. Well, part of the deal was is if you were in Israel and you were walking by somebody's field, the stuff on the outside, the extra stuff, you could walk by and you could grab some grain and you could eat it. Nothing wrong with that. But in the Pharisees' mind, this is called work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And that's exactly what they believed these disciples were doing. They were working on the Sabbath. They decided that, you know, we don't just want to talk about not working on the Sabbath. We actually want to define it. And so one of the ways we define working on the Sabbath is that as you walk by and you pluck some grain and you rub it, that's, that's called threshing in our, book, in our book. That's work. Don't do that. That's against the law. And so they say, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath day? The problem is, is that they missed the heart of the law. The heart of the law, the Sabbath law, was never meant to keep people from eating. <laughs> like it was never meant to keep people from, from uh, satisfying their hunger. It was meant to keep people focused on the Lord. It was meant God gave it to us as a command to remind us that, he need, that we need one day in seven focused on Him. Because if we don't spend one day in seven focused on Him, we lose our focus on Him. Like one day in seven, it's okay to take a break from work and spend it uh, worshiping the Lord. You, in fact, need that. In fact, you should allow the folks who work for you to have that one day in seven to worship the Lord. That's what the entire point of the Sabbath was, so that people could work uh, six days and then on the seventh day rest and spend time with the Lord. But they had turned this law into a burden so that it was no longer, the point was no longer the relationship with God. It was a rule that they could beat somebody over the head with. And so when these disciples are taking some grain and rubbing it together and eating it, they're like, you're not supposed to do that. That's against the rules. That is defined as work in our rule book. Don't do that. Why are you doing what you know you ought not to be doing? You are breaking our law. And so Jesus gives us this story about David uh, uh, from the Old Testament where he and his, his men are running and as on the run, they get hungry, and so they go in the temple, and there's some showbread that the law clearly stated they're not supposed to eat, but they're hungry. They don't eat this bread. They're going to go on being hungry, and Jesus is like, do you not know what the Bible says, what the Scripture says? Have you not read your Bible, you guys who claim you haven't memorized? Don't you know that David and his men ate the showbread? His point is, is that keeping the law rigidly without ever giving consideration to human need that's not what it was intended for. That's not what its purpose was. And he says, and by the way, just in case you're wondering, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I'm the boss. They're with me. And they can do what I tell them they can do. So you guys don't get to trump me. That's, that's something that, that it goes all the way through the Gospel of Luke, this idea that Jesus actually is the boss. He actually has authority. And so he says, listen, I ultimately am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then verse 6 to continue on here, we get another example of what it looks like to put our religion over relationship. We end up not only trapping ourselves, but we also end up not caring about other people. In verse 6 it says, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. 
And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So keep in mind, their idea of the Sabbath is not work, right? Well, their idea of work is healing someone. Apparently you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath in these guys' mind. That, by the way, is a really terrible rule, right? Oh, sorry, dude, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. I know you're really hurting today. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow uh, because today it's the Sabbath and it's not good to do good on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is in there and he's teaching and these scribes and these Pharisees are watching him. They're like, come on, let's see if he heals this guy. There's a guy over there who needs healing. Let's see if Jesus goes ahead and heals this guy. And so you can just imagine him taking bets. Like, what, what do you think, man? You think he's going to do it? I don't know, maybe. And Jesus hears them. He hears their thoughts. Remember, he knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. And he looks at him and he says, guys, let me ask you a question. Which is better, to do good or evil on the Sabbath? Do you think it's okay for me to do something good for someone on the Sabbath day? Do you think it's all right for me to look at this man and heal him? Do you really consider that a bad thing? Is your interpretation of the law so rigid and so strict that you end up believing it's actually wrong to help someone on this day that we worship the Lord. And so he says, tell you what, come here, man. And here's the guy standing in front of him, and he says, stretch out your hand. And he heals this man in front of him to prove his point. His point being that the law is actually meant to push us towards helping others, not towards beating each other over the head with it. You see, when we begin to believe that the law wants us to not help each other, we miss it entirely. We miss the whole point. We end up not living the way that God has called us to live. And we, guys, we, we fall into the same trap. We fall into the same trap that the Pharisees did. When we begin to believe that it's more about being right than it is about showing God's love. When we begin to believe that it's more about winning an argument than it is about sharing the love of Christ and sharing the gospel. When we get to that point, we're not doing what He's called us to. You see, before every time we begin an argument with someone or before every time we begin to discuss with someone the way that they are to be following Jesus, the first question we ought to ask ourselves, am I doing this because I want to prove that I'm right and more holy than them or because I actually care for their soul? Like the next time we get ready to top up a Facebook rant about how terrible these people are or how terrible those people are, ask ourselves, are we doing this because we want people to love Jesus or see how holy I am? Do I want people to understand how right I am or do I want them to see the glory of Christ? Hey, you, you see, the, the point that Jesus is making here is that the, the law concerning the Sabbath was never meant to restrict us from doing good. It was meant to point us back to Him. And if we understand that, we understand the heart of the law, then we understand what it means to worship Him. And, and so, j just to, to close this out this morning, I wanted to close out with some applications we have. While I still have time, I want to move on to the application section of this because I think it's important that we understand how this applies to us. You see, first, we need to understand that walking with Jesus is a celebration, not a time of sadness. 
Like walking with Jesus actually should be fun. Walking with Him is not miserable. It should actually be a blessing. It should actually be a joy. Think about these Pharisees just for a minute. So at the beginning, we, we saw where they're angry, they're upset because they are fasting and Jesus and His disciples aren't. They're upset that they're miserable and Jesus and His disciples are having a good time. They're like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're over here hungry. You guys are eating in front of us. You, you guys know, like if they're fasting twice a week, uh, in, in my house I hear the word hangry from time to time. Can you imagine how hangry they are if they're not eating twice a week and everybody's eating in front of them like they can smell the food? You ever been with somebody who can't eat before a surgery and you're like, should I eat this muffin in front of you or not? You know? That, so that's, that's kind of what's going on in their life. They're miserable and they're mad because these other people are not miserable. They've missed something. They believe that worshiping the Lord should make us miserable. That's actually not the point. Religion for the sake of religion gets us nothing and nowhere. You read about a guy like Martin Luther, a great hero of the faith, a man who before he became a believer in Christ was a monk, and, and he believed that in order to get better, in order to get rid of his sin, he needed to beat himself, so like he would whip himself until blood was running down his back and stuff like that. And he said, man, I, I, tried, I tried to make myself better, but it never worked. I think that's the way we approach Christianity a lot of times. Like the harder we work and the less happy we are, maybe the more that God loves us. Like the more effort we put in. We approach Christianity the way that I approach plumbing. This past week I was blessed with a clogged sink. How many of y'all love a clogged sink, right? Well, my immediate response is pour some Drano in it. We're good. Nothing happens. So I went and got the, the super duper stuff that you're supposed to wear gloves with. So I wear gloves with it for a reason. Apparently, if you get it on your hand, it burns really bad. I can tell you how I know that. But So anyway, I, I, I was like, man, this stuff for sure will work. Like, it burns bad. It's got to eat up whatever's in this pipe. Nothing happened. You, you see, we, we have a garbage disposal, and we have two children. And I don't know if you know this about children or not, but they have these little things called science experiments. And typically, in my house, one part of the science experiment is these little rubber uh, animals that grow in water. So it sits on the side of the sink and water as it grows. Occasionally, those rubber animals apparently get poured into the garbage disposal. I know that because one of them floated back up as I was trying to get it out. But I don't know where the other one went, apparently on down into the, to the pipe. But, I, I mean, I tried everything. And, and so I tried the Drano. I tried this other stuff. And I was like, you know what? It just takes some elbow grease. I went and got a plunger. And I stood over the sink, no lie, 15 minutes, plunging straight. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm getting this thing out of here. Whatever it is, I'm getting it out. And, like, my hands were slipping, and so I was, like, leaning into it. And, like, I have a bruise on my shoulder now from trying to plunge it. Zoe got up. It was, like, 8 o'clock at night, and I'm sweating, just dripping sweat. And she's like, Dad, what are you doing? We're trying to sleep here. And, and, and you know, I did that for a couple of days in a row. And let me tell you, nothing happened absolutely nothing until I went and got a, a, one of those snakes from uh, Lowe's and I ran it down in there and, clog, and the clog came right out and no big deal now. But I, I think we approach religion the same way. We approach our relationship with Christ the same way. The harder we try and the more we suffer, God's got to love us more. And we end up being hurting, making everybody around us mad. Crystal and the kids, they just had to leave the second day. Like, they had to go to my mom's, and she's like, I'm getting out of here. Because I, I was upset because I couldn't make it happen, and I think that's the way we approach Christianity. Why are you miserable? I'm a Christian. Didn't you know it? I'm trying here. 
But the truth is, is that we actually, if we follow Christ the way He calls us to, it's a joy. John the Apostle said that this is how we know we, we are His, that we keep His commandments and His commandments aren't a burden. Guys, if you're in Christ and you're not happy, you're not doing it right. I'm not saying that everything's easy. I'm not saying we don't ever suffer. I'm not even saying everything is fun. There's some things that aren't necessarily fun about following Christ. But you can find joy in following Him every day. You think about Paul the Apostle, a man who was in prison, and he writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Because when you're in Christ, you can actually love Him and serve Him and love other people and be happy. You don't have to be like these Pharisees. They're mad because everybody else is happy and you ain't. I, I, I just don't understand. Why can't they be miserable like me? If that's you, you're, you're not doing it right. Christ calls us to find joy in Him. And like I said, I, I'm not saying we've got to be happy about everything in our life. There are things that should upset us. There are things that should cause us pain. But we view those through the joy that the gospel gives. And worship, least of all, should cause us pain. We should be worshiping Him in everything that we do. Everything that we do should point us back to Him and cause us to love Him more. And so I wonder this morning, for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a while and you look at your life and you look at the things you're doing, does that cause you joy? Or are you just doing it out of duty? Right? There, there should be a difference after we have worshipped the Lord than before we worship the Lord. We should find joy in Him. Because you can keep the rules, you can come to church and you can do what you're supposed to do and still not do it right. You can go home and judge your neighbor for not going to church and be just as miserable as they are. Coming to church isn't the answer. Worshiping the one who made you is. And so we come and we gather this morning, not because this is what we're supposed to do, but because this is what we get to do. I think I shared with you, I, I don't know if it's been a couple of years ago, but I, I have an, uh, a, a program that I use to keep up with my Bible reading. And, and I found myself trying to finish out according to my schedule and and literally, you check boxes. I mean, it's kind of ironic, actually, when you think about it. And so I was going through there, and I was checking my boxes, and I was reading as fast as I could to get caught up on my schedule. Man, I was checking them boxes. It's like God just punched me in the face, and it's like, what are you doing? I don't care how many boxes you check. You haven't gotten anything out of all this that you read. What's the point? The point is to find a relationship with Him. The point is to grow in my joy in Him, not to check off some dumb box. He doesn't care about that. He wants us to connect with Him and grow more in love with Him. And so if the stuff we're doing is leading us further away from that, we need to check what we're doing and make sure we're doing it right. If you're doing stuff that makes you miserable and you're calling it worship, I'm not sure you're doing it the way you ought to. Ask yourself, how am I worshiping? How am I approaching my Bible study? How am I approaching prayer? How am I approaching church? Am I saying, Lord, show me more of you? Or am I saying, I, I did my duty. Now give me my joy. I did what I was supposed to do, now give me my stuff. That's not the way we ought to approach him. We approach him as, as, his, as his followers, saying, Lord, I just want to know you more. I want to know more of who you are. And so I ask you this morning, as believers, don't, don't be sour. Don't be miserable. Find joy in him. And then uh, if you are someone who's never believed on Christ, you're someone who's never trusted on Christ, and you bought into the lie that if you follow Jesus, you... Your, your life is over and there's no more fun for you. I want to tell you that's a lie. It is great joy and it is great fun to follow the Lord. You can have fun and freedom in Him. He wants to set you free. 
He wants you to have fun. He wants you to enjoy your life that He has given you. If, you've not, if you're not enjoying uh, your life this morning, I want to tell you that He wants you to come to Him and find true joy and true happiness and true satisfaction in Him. You say, I, I'm not good enough. That's okay. No one is. He says, come to me and find forgiveness, find grace. He, he asks you to simply ask Him this morning to forgive you. He, he says, come to me and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I, I won't, but you already have. Save me and forgive me. You know what his answer will be if you ask him to save you? If you ask him to forgive you? Yes. Come and find true joy. Enter into true salvation. Enter into true satisfaction. And so what are you waiting for? Come and and know what it means to follow the one who made you, who saved you, and, and who will lead you ultimately to heaven. If you would, stand with us. And as you stand, I want to pray for you. And as I pray, you ask yourself what it is God is calling you to do. Father, I I thank you.